Community Church. Good morning, Alma. Good morning, those of you worshiping with us online. As we continue to follow Moses, finally, Moses has reached a point where he can leave Egypt. He is really excited about this. The plagues are all behind him, and now it's time for him to do what God called him to do, which was to lead just a handful of people on a journey. They were going to the promised land. Now, the promised land wasn't that far away, but God had a different plan because, you see, God will always deliver, but while delivering, he tests your faith. He always makes a way, but there is a faith process that's involved in that. You will not get where you're going, where God wants you to be, without your faith being challenged. So that's what we're talking about today. The faith of Moses to lead the people, the faith of the people to follow, and the promise of God to deliver. Exodus 13, 17 through 19. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. You see, when God has a plan for you, it's generally not the plan you thought it would be. He sends you the long way around, doesn't give you a compass to help you know how to get there, and then when you finally get there, it looks impossible to cross over to the victory you've been looking for. That's how God operates. And there's a reason for that that we'll see in a minute. Now, if Moses had had GPS, you know what he would have done? He would have said, no, wait a minute, God. I see here that it's about 500 miles from Goshen over to the, uh, the promised land. So why don't we go that way? Why don't we just head there and, and that'll be much easier. But God said, no, there's a different way I need you to go. I'm not a huge fan of GPS because I understand that it's dependent upon the one who's programming it. And that usually causes me trouble. We visited our daughter in Indianapolis area once, and I can remember, well, actually, we visited her more than once, but I remember coming home, and I said, let's go the way that takes us around 469, which is around Fort Wayne, over to 24, which brings you up to Toledo, where you can pick up 23. You're with me so far? Okay, and you can go all the way home. We can do this. I know how to do it, honey. Not a problem. So I got on 469, I got off on Highway 30, should have been 24, but I got off on 30, because I knew this was the right way to go, no matter what the GPS said. And as we're driving, I said, look, since the last time we're here, they've built all these windmills. (laughs) My wife's just shaking her head. We ended up 77 miles south of Toledo. And I added two and a half hours to our trip. (laughs) But see, Moses had God's positioning system. He had GPS. 
because he knew to do whatever God told him to do. God knew that if this group of people, these Israelites that were ready to fight, had headed toward the Philistine country, the Philistines would have engaged them, and they would have been filled with fear. They haven't fought anything in 400 years. So they would have run right back into Egypt and stayed there for eternity. So he said, I'm not sending them that way. I have a different way that I need you to go. The long way with no plan and an insurmountable object. Doesn't that sound like God to you? He's not going to tell you what he's going to do, but he expects you to believe that he'll do it for your benefit. But it's not just about you. It's not about me. I think this is the thing I've had to learn over and over again. It's all about him. It really is. God says in these scriptures that I may be known. You see, you and I are loved by him. We are his children because of our faith in Jesus Christ. But it's all about God being known to the rest of the world. And that's why you and I live the kind of life that reflects that reality. God knows what you need. And when you do what he tells you to do, you'll always end up where he wants you to be. And there's a kicker to it. He will pay the fare. Let me give you two different illustrations that correspond to this. You remember Jonah. Jonah was a prophet. God says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and there proclaim my name. Jonah says, no, I'm not going to do that. I've said that before, have you? Yeah, I don't want to do that, God. So what does Jonah do? Jonah goes down to Tarsus. He goes to a ship. He pays for passage and goes down in the ship. The ship comes to a storm. They all figure out, and Jonah admits, I'm running from God, so they throw him down into the sea. And then he goes down into a whale. Where did he end up? In Nineveh. But here's the problem. When you don't do what God wants you to do, you still end up where he wants you to be, but you pay the price. Now let's revert to the positive illustration. Here's Moses as a baby. We talked about this at the beginning of this series. And his mother puts him in a little basket and he's floating and his sister's watching and Pharaoh's daughter finds him. And what does Miriam say? Would you like for me to find someone to nurse the baby? Yes, and I will pay them. So the mother of Moses did what God had required of her, gets the baby back and feeds him and raises him probably till age five or seven in a knowledge of God in the Hebrew way. When you do what God wants you to do, you're going to get where you're wanting to be, where God wants you to be, and he'll pay the price. So Moses is excited. Finally, the plagues are behind him. Pharaoh has said, it's time to go. Moses says, fantastic. I am ready for us to be out of here. And so he gets to the head of the group and he says, all right, I have been living by faith. I understand that. But now God's going to require me to walk by faith to somewhere I've never been to fulfill a promise he's made. And I cannot see the end of the promise. 
But God has a plan, so I'm going to do what God said. I'm going to walk by faith. Exodus 13, 20 to 22. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in the pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in the pillar of fire to guide them by light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Now, there are those who say that there are possibly three different ways that the people could have gone out of Egypt. The first one is that they would have gone right across from where Goshen is to Israel, but God said no. The second one would have taken them down to the right, just below the word Israel, to the little crossing of the water there, but that's not it either. The third one is called the Hebrew approach, and that's down at the bottom. And what they did is they went on the first day from Goshen to Succoth. That's an interesting point here. That town was not named that at the time they stayed there. It was just an area of the wilderness, and they went there, and they stayed, and later they named it. And so it finds its way into the Hebrew word of Succoth, and Succoth means booths, and there is a festival of booths. You may remember that at the transfiguration when Peter said, let us make shelters here for you and for Moses and for Elijah. He was talking about celebrating booths, and it's still celebrated today. Here's what God did for them. They wondered, where are we going to spend the night? How's this going to take place? Two and a half million people, 600,000 males and their wives and their children and some of the people from Egypt who had worked with them and wanted to go with them, between two and two and a half million people are following Moses. And they need a place to stay. Succoth means that God provided them shelter. He gave them a place to stay. You see, when God calls you to go somewhere, when he's sending you somewhere he wants you to be, he will provide the way along the way. You don't need to be concerned about how's it going to take place. God will take care of it. He's always there in our time of need. He makes a way. He makes a path. He's our deliverer. 1978, my wife and I were coming up to visit her family in the Dearborn, Dearborn Heights area, and we visited for Thanksgiving. And as we were leaving, we went down to Cincinnati to go over to Louisville to return to Mississippi, where we lived. And on I-71, perhaps some of you may remember, there was a blizzard, a snowstorm that was so bad that all of the interstate highways were shut down. And we're going down one of those roads on the highway, and we see a car stop to the side. And there's a young man outside the car, and he's waving. So I stopped the car. Can I help you? He said, I've run out of gas. And I said, well, get in the car. We'll take you to the next exit if we can get up that exit. And we did that. And as we get there, he said, thank you so much, and my grandfather thanks you. And I said, what do you mean your grandfather thanks me? He said, well, I left him in the car <laughs> so that I could come get gas. And 
we had room in the car for him too, son. So we let the young man out. And my wife says, we need to stop. God has told me we need to stop right now. There's a hotel over there. Let's go see. We pulled into the hotel. God provided the last room they had, the very last one. The next morning, we turn on the television. The highways are shut down. People abandon their cars on the interstate in five, six, seven feet of snow. It was one of the worst storms that had ever come through there. And we sat in this nice, warm room, and we praised God because God had said to my wife, you need to get off. You need to find a place to stay. He didn't mention the kid who left his granddad. That was just added value to it. But you see, what God wants us to understand is if your faith in him is even as small as a mustard seed, God's ability, his willingness, his desire to care for you is beyond explanation. No one can ever illustrate how great our God is. I mean, he is leading two and a half million people out of bondage down a highway they had never been, and they're following, and he's providing. He's giving them a place to stay. When God directs, God provides. Well, here's the problem. The enemy was behind them. You see, God had hardened Pharaoh's heart so that Pharaoh now is so upset with where these people are going, he's getting his whole army. He said, we're going to chase them down. Well, some things have never changed. The enemy wants to seek out any of us who believe in God, who are followers of Jesus Christ, and he wants to destroy us, to kill us, to steal from us. The plan has not changed. He's still doing that. And if ever there was a time in history that the church needs to awaken to that reality, it's now. We are in a battle he is leading us to the promised land, but we are in a battle, a battle for the mind, a battle for the soul. We're in a battle for truth. And we need to trust God, that God knows where this is going, and we need to follow him where it's going. And we need to be on our knees every single day praying that God will continue to show us how to fight this fight so that we can enter this promised land. The mission has not changed. And our defense is the same. God provided a pillar of fire. Now, throughout the Bible, it's mentioned that God is involved with fire. You remember that the Abrahamic covenant that he makes in Genesis 15, God is walking between the pieces of a sacrifice that he and, Adam, he and Abraham have provided and he causes Abraham to fall asleep. And it says, with a smoking flask, which is a, a burning fire with smoke, he walks between the pieces, which signifies the sealing of a covenant, which promises that Abraham, if you and your descendants sin, I will pay the price. I'll take the covenant upon myself, which he does by sending Jesus to die for us, paying for all of our sins. And so that fire was important there. That fire is also important when Moses receives his call. He sees that burning bush that is not being consumed because it's fire. That fire is important later when we see Elijah. And he calls down the fire of God upon the prophets of Baal. 
The New Testament says our God is a consuming fire. But in the case of Israel, the fire was there because of the light. He wanted to show that they had pure daylight out there. What a, what a magnificent pillar of fire this must have been because they could see as though it was daylight. But on the back side of the fire was darkness where you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face. Then there was the cloud, the second representation of God. When Moses went up to receive the Ten Commandments, he was in a cloud when that happened. When Moses would go into the tent and Joshua with him, the cloud would descend. That was the Holy Spirit coming in to minister on behalf of God. At the transfiguration that I mentioned earlier, he came in a cloud. At the ascension, when Jesus is leaving, the angels say to the disciples, why are you staring into the air? Even as you have seen him go, so he shall return in the cloud. This is the cloud, the Shekinah glory. So you have the cloud and the fire both. The fullness of God represented to protect Israel. It was on the outside. Light, darkness. But now that Shekinah glory, that Holy Spirit, is in us. Those of us who have accepted Christ, we have the Spirit of God. We have the fire. We have the cloud. It's inside of us. And he lives there in order to guide us the direction that God want us, wants us to go. And here's what God did. He moved to the rear to protect them from the oncoming army of Pharaoh. He says in the Bible, he is our rear guard. He also says he will lead us. He says he will surround us with his love. I mean, it seems to me like God is everywhere. God is all around us, and he is our light, so we need to follow him. We need to listen when he speaks, and we need to follow him. The light is important. Linda and I were traveling to Africa on one of our early trips, and we were routed through France. And as we went through France, we were in the airport, and there was a particular piece of luggage, and it was filled with Bibles. And so we went to check in, and as we put it up there, it was a little bit heavy, and the lady said, you cannot take it. And Linda stepped back for a minute, and she prayed, and she came back, and she said, I have to take it. She said, you cannot take it. And she said, but I am doing what God has told me to do. And my wife climbed up on that rack that they put the luggage on, and she went right up and she leaned into the ear of this lady and she said, these are Bibles from God. I am taking them. And the lady said, take the bag. <laughs> and I said, you know, I, I'd rather follow Moses than my wife. I tell you, <laughs> sometimes she really scares me. And she said, well, that's what God told me to do. Because she was following the light. The light dispels the darkness. So the Israelites walk by faith. They go from that first stop at Succoth down to a little town called Ethan, and then they backtrack a little bit to a town that's right on the coast. So now they're able to see this huge body of water out here and they can see that 48 miles to the north is where 
the water is flowing down into this gulf. And nine miles across, they see dry land. But they see the dust behind them building up as the chariots of Pharaoh are rushing to catch them. They only see wilderness and water and dust of the enemy. What are we going to do? What are you doing right now with the issues of your life? What are you doing with emotional problems, physical problems, financial problems, relational problems? You know, what's going on? You need to really be thinking about the fact that God is your deliverer and he's going to get you out of this. You're looking at an obstacle that you believe is insurmountable. I've been there and many of you have too. You look at that and you think, how am I ever going to get over that? How can I get that to move out of my way? No, trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. It won't be the way you thought it was. It won't happen in the time frame that you think it will. And it won't be you that makes it move. It'll be God. God makes a way. He's a way maker. God is a miracle worker. The light of God will shed on your situation if you trust him. If you pray. But not the way you think it's going to happen. I keep reinforcing that because I have learned over the years that when I believe something's going to happen a certain way, it never does. But God always does it the way he wants it to do. So the Israelites now who have been walking by faith, have been living by faith, must now start running by faith. Exodus chapter 14, verses 6 through 9. This is Pharaoh. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi Hahiroth, opposite Baal Zephon. So they could see them. They saw them coming. Now it's told us that Ramses had about 100,000 soldiers in his army at that time. It seems a little less than what he would need, but he's coming against 600,000 soldiers, men. So 100,000 against 600, but 100,000 with chariots, trained warriors are coming after them. It seems like an absolutely impossible thing. What are they going to do? Here's the key. Here's the thing I want you to learn today, if nothing else. The insurmountable doesn't move until you walk toward it. That impossible thing that you think can't happen won't happen until you start moving in its direction. The salvation that we receive comes from Jesus Christ who looked at the cross and for the joy set before him, he walked toward it. 
death seemed insurmountable. If he's killed on that cross, then the disciples thought, it's over. He's gone. All of our dreams are gone. But no, every time he took a step toward the cross, he knew he was fulfilling the will of the Father. And he went on that cross. And he removed the greatest obstacle that had ever been moved. And that is, he removed the penalty of sin. He removed us from that potential separation from God and brought us in union with him. Because he knew that for us, death was insurmountable. But in him, though we are dead, yet we shall live. Now Moses' people didn't know that at the time. They didn't have that kind of an understanding of God. They knew Messiah was coming and they thought Moses was him. And Moses actually says of himself in another place, there is one coming like unto me. So he knew he was a Christ type. So here they were facing this insurmountable thing. What's going to happen? God is the way maker. Exodus 14 15 and 21, the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on, raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. By this point, I'm going, what? I mean, this doesn't make any sense. Now, he had done miraculous things with this stick that God had given him. But this was just unthinkable. This had never happened before. He said, I'll harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go in after them and I will gain the glory. You see where it's going? God wants the glory. Through Pharaoh and all of his army, through his chariots and his horsemen, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Wow. It's all about God. Remember, it's all about God. 20 years ago when Linda started a ministry called Widow's Might in order to reach widows in suffering areas of the world, a consultant came to her to help her get the business started so that she could do this ministry. And he said one thing to her. He said, you must focus just on widows. If it's not about the widows, it ought to be. Now, I can tell you story after story of how God has blessed that, but not long ago, I was at a doctor's office, and he examined me, and he asked me what I did, and I told him, and he asked what my wife did, and I told him, and he said, really? He said, you know, I need to talk to her. I might like to go with you sometime, and I'm thinking, I'm here because I have a problem, but it's all about the widows, you know? <laughs> you see, God's going to get the glory whenever he wants the glory. So he's going to get the glory in this situation. God now says to him, all right, hold it out over there and make it happen. And what happens? The sea separates. Now, it's a nine-mile distance. I've told you that. Later, those who do this discovered that the depth of the water was over a mile. It's around 5,900 feet deep. But the topography... Slopes gradually, levels off, and slopes back up. The perfect place to cross. Well, that's where God wanted them to cross, 
So what does he do? He actually holds back the water from continuing its flow, and he pushes this water this way wide enough for two and a half million people to cross over. The scripture says he started this at three in the morning, and by daylight, they had crossed over. That's pretty fast. But the Egyptians were right after them. They were coming in fast. And at that point, God says to Moses, now, stick it out there again and watch what happens. And the water's released. And everybody died. And God got the glory for that. And the people on the other side must have turned around. And they were already amazed. Can, can you imagine walking through there nine miles just wondering, you think it's going to hold? I mean, I'm scared to death just seeing this water on the side. Little boy came home from Sunday school one day, and his mother said, what would you learn today? Learned about Moses crossing the water. I said, well, tell me about it. He said, well, you see, they built this bridge, and they got some buses, and they all went over, and then this guy that was chasing them, they got buses, but these F-16s came in and blew the bridge up, and they all died. She said, surely that's not what they taught you in Sunday school. He said, no, but if I told you what happened, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> it is unbelievable, isn't it? And some have tried to write it off as a myth. It's not a myth. It's true. There is nothing that is impossible with God. There's nothing that's standing in front of you right now that with God's help, cannot be moved so that he gets glory and you get deliverance. That's what salvation's about. God gets the glory every time someone's soul is saved. The angels sing in heaven because death has been removed. What a mighty God we serve. Joshua later would actually comment on this particular situation because they've just crossed over Jordan, Joshua says this, For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had all crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord God. You see, Joshua and Caleb were the only ones still alive who had walked through that water in the Red Sea. Everybody else had been born after that. And they go through the Jordan and think it's a big deal. He said, it is a big deal, but not as big as it was. But there's nothing too big, nothing too small. Our God is a mighty God. So what are you facing? What is it that's in your path right now that you need God to deal with. God will make a way. There's a great seminary in Dallas, Texas called Dallas Theological Seminary. It produced hundreds and hundreds of wonderful men and women who've gone into different phases of ministry. But early in its history, in 1924, the president, Dr. Harry Ironside, realized that they were in financial trouble. And so he was in his office with a couple of board members, and they were praying. And his prayer was, 
God, you own the cattle on a thousand hills, and you own all the gold underneath them. Please sell some cattle so that we can keep this vision going. What he didn't know was at the same time in the front office, the secretary, who was not aware that he was praying, opens the door for a man to come in, and the man comes in and he says, I just came from selling two full containers of cattle, and I had this idea to invest it, but I, I didn't know what to do, and God told me I should come. I don't know if you need it or not, but here it is. And she went running into Dr. Ironside's office, and she said, Harry, God sold a cow, not knowing that that's what they'd been praying. And even to this date, Dallas Theological Seminary continues, because there was an obstacle. They went to prayer, and God moved that mountain. Isaiah speaks to this in Isaiah 43.2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Because in our greatest time of need, Jesus made a way for you and me. Our God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Whatever your situation is, call upon him, and he will make the way. Let's stand and worship the Lord together.